Well, thank you, Sue, for helping us out and uh, sharing with the kids. And good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing all right. And uh, I, I know that uh, I could tell kind of by the clapping at the end of that video, it was kind of like, this is really kind of strange. Where are they going with this? Uh, and and uh, I, I just want to say that I have, uh, for a long time, I've been thinking about this. I'm, I'm an English lit major, and so I'm familiar with a lot of the uh, old stories uh, and some of these monster stories. And, uh, and so I'm very uh, interested in some of the spiritual par- parallels. And so I've thought about this for a while. I've been wanting to do a series like this, and just never the timing never worked out. And it finally worked out. And uh, anyway, I'm very thankful for Jason and uh, Brian and some of the guys helping out with uh, the video, helping us kick it off. Um, and before I, I do get started, I uh, just want to say thank you to uh, everyone who pitched in this morning. Uh, it's a fifth Sunday, so uh, it's kind of people from every one of the four teams kind of helping out and uh, helping set up today. So just give those people a hand. Uh, thank you. And also, um, there, there's one thing. I, it's it uh, missed my attention, and uh, another pastor, a friend of mine, uh, made me aware of it. I wasn't in on the loop, but... Uh, want to make you aware of it because it's just a great opportunity uh, for some of us who have a heart for our friends who don't know the Lord. Uh, coming up uh, November 7th and 8th, uh, Billy Graham is doing uh, the My Hope, uh, and it's going to be aired. It's a 30-minute program on national TV. On uh, November 7th, it'll be on national TV on TBN, and then uh, November 8th, it'll be on local affiliates uh, Channel 13, ABC, uh, here in town. And uh, basically, uh, Billy Graham, what he's doing is doing what he's done in other countries, airing a video or a 30-minute second nationally, and then uh, encouraging Christians all over the country to host what he calls Matthew parties. Uh, invite all your friends who don't know the Lord, come over, and then watch it on national TV, and then to talk about it afterwards. And... Uh, New Life uh, Community Church, Steve Harris, is going to be offering training this week, um, October, um, October 1st and 3rd. That's a Tuesday and a Thursday at 6.30 p.m. Uh, there's also training online. Uh, you can go to the website, My Hope Billy Graham, and uh, also get training there. You can also kind of get some previews of what's going to be on TV uh, by some of the 30-minute uh, productions that they've already produced. And uh, there's, you know, famous athletes or business people or nationally known figures that are also giving their testimonies along with Billy Graham's words. So uh, check it out. See if that is something. I know that uh, not knowing what's going to be shown, you're taking a chance to do that. So uh, it may or may not be for you and the friends that you're thinking of, but just wanted to let you know about that. And uh, I think it's a great opportunity. Check it out. Well, uh, with monsters, yes, monster stories. Uh, today, we're looking at uh, a passage of Scripture. It's in Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8. And it's probably a more difficult passage of Scripture that people have wrestled with for a long time. And because it's a topic that we wrestle with, uh, that's why I was trying to find a way to relate this to us in a way that we can understand and remember it. And that's why we're going with monsters and monster stories. And uh, there's a quote that I wanted to share with you before I start. It's uh, from Tim Keller. He's one of my 
communicators of the gospel, and he's a preacher up in uh, New York City and uh, has written some great books. Read them all. They're wonderful. Uh, But he often says this quote. He says, we are more wicked than we thought and we're more loved than we hoped. We are more wicked than we thought and we're more loved than we've hoped. And for a lot of us, uh, we understand that in connection with the gospel. For some of us, we still wrestle with the first part of that sentence. Uh, We wrestle with the first sentence, we're more wicked than we thought. And we're kind of like, what? What's he talking about? I ain't that bad. I'm not wicked. I'm a really nice guy. Well, this is what we're talking about for the next few weeks. We're talking about the monster within. And my question for you guys is, why do we as adults still tell monster stories when we know that monsters aren't real? Why do we do that? I mean, why, as, as grown adults, do we pay money to go see movies and read books about monsters that we know are not real? You know, some people say that it's, it's uh, maybe uh, the stories explain things that are unexplained, and, and that's why we, we see them. Others will say, well, maybe it's just, you know, kid fears that we've turned into stories and, you know, something like that. But I want to assert that, that monster stories tell us the truth about who we are. Yes, that monster stories are many times about the monster within. You know, the question that I have for you today sets the scene for the rest of the stories and, and the rest of the series. And the question is, what is the controlling power of your life? What is the controlling power of the life? You know, um, some of these monster stories agree with the Bible and what the Bible teaches about the truth of who we are. And when we're looking at the controlling power of our life, the question is, is the controlling power yourself or is the controlling power the spirit placed in you? Is the controlling power yourself which came corrupted into this world or is the controlling power of the spirit of God placed in you by faith? You know, the Bible teaches us that um, the nature of human beings, at least uh, in the first few chapters, it gives us the story of how we came about with the nature that we have. We're told that our ancestors, Adam and Eve, were created good, but then they were spoiled by sin. Their very nature or their essence being marred. And the spoiling of humans, and actually the spoiling of the whole world, was called the fall. And you'll see that every now and then, and that's what it's referring to. Um, the, that marred essence, which basically killed the spirit, thank you, sir, uh, killed the spirit within, was then inherited by every descendant of Adam and Eve. That's you and me. So, now that's a pretty heavy statement. And if you leave off with that and don't continue with the rest of the good news, that can be a very depressing and dark thought. But, and when I was a, uh, a new Christ follower, I didn't believe that. I didn't believe that we were basic, our human nature was basically evil I, or basically sinful. I, I believed as a young Christ follower that our nature was basically good. And I didn't really want to take it seriously what the Bible said about that. I wasn't connecting all the dots. Instead, I thought more like the author, Mary Shelley, who wrote the monster story, Frankenstein. And she wrote this back in the early 1800s, back when people were experimenting with electricity and theorizing about it, and some wondered if 
electricity was the spark of life. Um, and so Shelley was challenged by some colleagues to write a scary story, a gothic story. And, and uh, Shelley wrote about a doctor, Dr. Frankenstein. You see, our modern story's got it messed up. The monster is not Frankenstein, it's the doctor. And uh, Dr. Frankenstein, he was experimenting with the spark of life. And he made a creature that he put together come to life. And the creature in Shelley's story was basically good in nature and, and what some would say a blank slate, ready to be written on. And the creature wanted to know his maker, Dr. Frankenstein. But Dr. Frankenstein was just horrified by what he had made, and he abandons the creature. Well, the rest of Shelley's story describes the creature uh, figuring out how it's to live in, in this abandoned state. And basically that the creature uh, learns and, and, uh, by observing humans and uh, basically, uh, in this Franken, in Shelley's Frankenstein story, the, this t- creature be- was very intelligent and uh, taught itself to read, and um, and then continued though to have negative experiences with people and the world around it. And so, in Shelley's story, the creature becomes evil because of the evil world around it. And at the end of her story, the creature is actually trying to destroy the doctor. And the doctor is actually trying to destroy the creature. Not a very happy ending. So, as a new believer, I held this same view that that people are basically good and it's the world around us that makes us evil. And like most of humanity, uh, I had seen some evidence of this, but I, and, and I can point to it here or there and say, see, it's that system and it's causing this, it's what makes people turn to evil and do wrong, but I was ignoring the growing evidence in my own life that evil was closer than the world around me. Now, one major problem with my faith in Jesus and this unbiblical view of humanity was that I never thought to ask the question, if we are basically good, then why did Jesus have to die for sin? Or better yet, if we're basically good, then why does Jesus need to live within us by his spirit? Why is that necessary? Well, by not taking the sin nature of humans seriously, I I was really skipping a big part of the Christian faith. That part of the faith that says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live by the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, although I believe that Christ lived in me and that there was this part of denying myself, thought of it more of a denying myself to honor God, but I wasn't fully accepting the truth about my nature. And by not fully accepting that my essence, apart from Christ, was sinful, I was becoming more and more like a Dr. Jekyll. And Mr. Hyde. So, all right, here we go with the next part of our Monsters education. All right, Monsters University. We got Frankenstein and we got Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Frankenstein, right here, the world around me is evil, but I'm good. Dr. Jekyll, I'm evil, and I got to battle this evil within me. And, uh, and I'll leave it at that, all right? So, now the story 
of, by Robert Louis Stevenson, The Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, is a story that's closer to biblical truth of who we are. But it's a monster story without hope, okay? So it's, it's kind of a partial example. It's not a full example. Um, but you see, Dr. Jekyll understood that there was something evil within his own nature. And, and in the story, he's an intelligent, educated man. He's part of the upper class. This was written in 1865. The setting was England where class mattered at that time. And uh, so he's part of the upper class. And he, but he still struggled with evil desires and desires to do wrong. And so Dr. Jekyll decided he would find a way to control this all by himself, right? That's a little key part to that story, all right? Get that, all by myself, all right? So he came up with a potion. He came up with a serum to separate evil and good within him. But when he drinks this uh, potion, uh, it turns out that it, it, it separates all the evil to one side, all the good to the other side. Uh, and, it, and in the story, Stevenson reveals that his character, Dr. Jekyll, is really fooling himself. You see, Dr. Jekyll, what he's doing in separating the evil from good is that so that he can do what he pleases without any conscience. That's the real reason why he's doing it. So in the story, Dr. Jekyll, he drinks the potion, he transforms into the evil Mr. Hyde, and he goes about doing whatever evil he desires without any conscience. And so when the consequences for Hyde's actions start closing in, the police are chasing him, and they're getting ready to arrest him for the evil he's done, he takes the antidote, and he drinks it, and then he turns back into Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Respectable, and the police are like, where's Mr. Hyde? Oh, it's Mr. Dr. Jekyll, a respectable citizen of our community. And, 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 you know, it's all fine and good, so it seems for the time. But Stevenson reveals in his story that the doctor is always conscious of what he has done as the evil Hyde. So it's not like some of your, your modern movie stories where the guy wakes up and goes, what did I do? Oh, I can't believe I did that. Dr. Jekyll knows what he did. All right? So the doctor is willingly carrying out his own suppressed evil desires through Hyde. Then the problem occurs in the story, and Dr. Jekyll starts turning into Hyde without the potion. So he's throwing a party, and he's in, in toasting his... his socialite friends and then all of a sudden he starts to feel it come over him and he's like oh no I'm going to turn into Hyde and so he puts down his drink and he runs out of the room and he and he transforms and he has to leave the party he can't come back and uh and he goes out as Mr. Evil Hyde and does more things and so because it's coming unbidden Dr. Jekyll when he returns to himself he decides that he is going to try to control this and so he he controls it by I'm going to do good deeds and he goes out and he does good deeds. And just as he's sitting down to pat himself on the back for doing a good job with those good deeds, he transforms into evil Hyde. A little hint that pride, you know, can sneak up on you when you're doing good deeds. So, um, and then it turns, when he turns into Mr. Hyde, he finds out that the antidote to turn back into Mr. Je Dr. Jekyll, it doesn't work anymore. And he's stuck as Mr. Hyde forever. And in short, the evil nature Hyde prevails in the end. And the truth of Stevenson's story is that humans are ultimately controlled or dominated by an evil nature. Now, this is the place 
where I found myself as a young 20-something grappling with my own sinful nature. I was trying to control it all by myself. But me, as the controlling power of my life, was like Dr. Jekyll trying to control his life. With myself as a controlling power, I ultimately failed over and over again. And, and with me as a controlling power in my life, I would say things like this that were similar to what you find in Romans chapter 7. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I know not, that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Well, Stevenson's story, though it's more aligned with the truth of who we are, it leaves out the truth of Jesus Christ. You see, there is an answer to that question, who will rescue me from this body of death? And the answer is, thanks be to God and Jesus Christ, our Savior. He is the one who can rescue us. You see, the question and answer is from the Scriptures, where the Apostle Paul explains that there is hope for us who put our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the struggle is described there in Romans chapter 7. The answer and the truth to, to that question is in chapter 8. Now, listen to the difference between the controlling power of the sinful nature and the controlling power of the Spirit. Now we're coming back to our question for the day and for the series. What is the controlling power of your life? Okay, This is where I need you to tune in. I need you to pay attention. Okay, You're going to listen to these words, and I want you to hear the difference of what it's like when you're controlled by sinful nature and when you're controlled by the Spirit, the two controlling powers that we have to choose from in this life. All right, here it goes, Romans 8. The mind of sinful man is death. Oh. That doesn't sound good. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Oh, that's nice. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Oh, that's not good. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Oh, even worse. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. Ah. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Ah. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Ah, yeah. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. Ah, I get it. <coughs> this is it, folks. This is our hope. And our hope is that we cannot make it in this life without Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, we'll be overcome by the sinful nature. And the truth is, that with the sinful nature, it would be like if we never got a new nature. Think of Sue's little uh, thing that she gave the kids with the face on either side. It'd be like a face with just on one side. You go, sinful nature, bad. And then you try to flip it, and there's nothing on the other side. You're like, oh, 
yep, didn't work so well. So it, it, you can try to smooth over the sinful nature. You can try to put some good deeds on it, but you'll find yourself just like Dr. Jekyll is not going to work. You won't be able to control it. You've, and, and there's some of you who know the struggle and you're like, man, I just feel like I, I don't want to do this wrong, but I do it when I'm tempted. I just feel like I have no power. Well, if you don't have Christ in your life, that's true. You don't have it because the controlling power is the sinful nature. Until you have the controlling power of the Spirit, until you invite Jesus Christ in your life, you will not be able to overcome temptation. You will succumb to it every time. So the rest of our monster stories in this message series are going to begin to deal with the leftovers of our sinful nature and learning to live in agreement with the new controlling power of the Spirit. So if you're here and you're a Christ follower, you already asked Jesus into your life. The rest of our series, when we talk about mummies, uh, werewolves, and zombies, those are going to be more directed to those of us who already have Jesus Christ in our life but are dealing with the leftovers of the sinful nature. But today, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. And today, I want to call you to belief that's going to alter you, the way you think and live. You see, there's stuff that we think affects the way we live. And what you think about the nature of man is going to play out in how you live. So you have a choice about this, though, and I, I want to call you to biblical belief about it. Now, again, I'll say, you know, I was a young 20-something. I was volunteering, teaching in, uh, with the youth, and I was still grappling with this. I was still grappling with, uh, is man basically good or man basically evil? So I'm not asking you saying, you better believe this or else. I'm saying, I, I, I grappled with this over a few years, trying to figure this out. So I understand if you're hearing this for the first time and you're being challenged for the first time, that you might have to grapple with it. So I'm not saying, if you don't believe this, you don't belong in this church. That's not the way we operate, okay? You got time to figure things out around here, okay? So, but I am going to challenge you to this. And I want to challenge you. I want to present the choices before you. And here's the choice. You can choose to believe like a Mary Shelley. You can choose to believe Frankenstein, that we're all blank slate creatures who don't inherit anything from our ancestors. But instead, we, we become shaped by the evil world around us. And with this belief, I'll tell you how it plays out. How it plays out is that you and I will never be at fault. We can just go on blaming the world around us. It's their fault. It's the world's fault. It's the system's fault. You know, and, and I do believe that the world does have evil in its systems. And I'm not saying don't fight against those things or oppose those things. But, but what I am saying is I, I agree with G.K. Chesterton when, when, he, when he wrote to the London Times and responded to their, their news article title, What's Wrong with the World? And he wrote to the editor, and his answer was in two sentences. Dear sirs, what is wrong with the world? I am. And that's, I believe, is an agreement with the scriptures. And, and I believe that to choose to believe in Frankenstein, you're always going to have to answer the question, where does evil come from? If it doesn't come from us, where does it come from? And as you try to fix the world systems, you're always going to be disappointed when evil reappears. I believe that to fix the world, you have to fix the human heart first. And that's why I do what I do. And that's how a belief affects a person. And that's how belief ended up calling this guy into the ministry. I could have ended up doing something else, going doing good deeds 
and teaching English in third world countries or whatever, trying to change a system. But I decided that it would be better to be working with God and his change that he's trying to affect in people's hearts. Now, you, that's a choice. You can, choose, you can choose the Frankenstein belief or you can choose the Dr. Jekyll belief. Acknowledging that you got these wild desires, you got a nature, that, uh, a sinful nature, and you can try to take control of it yourself. That is a choice. You can recognize, yeah, there is some sort of duality in humans, but I, I can control it. I got it under control. But I just want to say, you trying to control you is an impossible feat because you as the controlling power still want what is opposed to God. You see, on your own, the appetite for pleasing yourself is always going to be greater than your appetite to please God. If you decide to keep believing like Dr. Jekyll, controlling things on your own, you're just going to end up like Dr. Jekyll, overcome in the end by evil. Now, there's a third choice. I want to throw it out to you. And the first two weren't so great. Here's the third one. All right. Who can rescue us from this body of death? Who can rescue us from this condition inherited by Adam and Eve, by our ancestors? Jesus Christ can. He can take the controlling power of the sinful nature that we inherited, and he can surgically remove it. Now, the scriptures, they don't say surgically. They say God will circumcise your heart. I I didn't want to scare the men in the room talking about circumcision. So it's a surgery of the heart. It's a spiritual surgery. And God says he will do this and remove this sinful nature, cut it out of you, and he will put in a new controlling power, his spirit, Romans 8, 9. But it's your choice to do that. You see, God knocks on the door of your heart. Revelation 3.20, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, he with me. That is the door of your heart, folks. And, and he will knock, but he's not going to barge in. You can open up. It's your choice. And the choice is going to require surrender. So with this question that we have today, what or who is the controlling power of your life? If you want to answer this in a more affirmative way, you want to answer this in a way that aligns with the gospel, it's going to require surrender. I know surrender isn't easy for everyone here. But I want you to know, surrender is not giving up freedom. It's being released from the slave master of sin and gaining freedom under a new king. A king who says, it is for freedom that I have set you free. That's what Jesus says to us. So when we say yes and surrender to him being that controlling power, there's some things that we do when we do that. I, I just want to share that with you in a minute. I'm going to have Nate and the, come on up. He's going to continue to lead us in some worship. But we are more wicked than we thought. But we are more loved than we hoped. This is the good news in the gospel. And the question is, what is the controlling power of your life? This is a question that comes at the core of our belief. It's a question that comes at the truth of who we are and who we're going to become. And so I want to challenge you. If you haven't surrendered, surrender now. Let God, let Jesus be the controlling power in your life 
so that you can have a happy ending in your story. It doesn't have to end like the other monster stories that end so bad. So if you're someone here and you're going, well, how do I surrender? How do I do that? I want to tell you, I want to take a moment. You know the story of the prodigal father and the two lost sons, sometimes known as the story of the prodigal son? Well, there's a moment when the, the prodigal son that we call, he's in the pig pen. And while he's in the pig pen, feeding the pigs, wishing he could eat what the pigs are eating, he thinks of his father as ho- at home. He has a realization. He realizes that where he's at stinks, and where his father is at is great. And he's wishing that he could be where his father is at instead of where he's at. And, he, and what he realizes is that his way got him to a pig pen. Doing things his father's way would end up where his father's at. And so for, for you, for us, to come to a point of surrender, there's got to be a realization. A realization that my way, our way, the human way is going to get us in a pig pen. God's way gets us in a much better direction. There's also what happens with the prodigal is that he doesn't stay in the pig pen and go, wow, yeah, I realize that. That's awesome. My dad's in a great place. I'm in a stinky place because my choices. No, he doesn't stay there. He returns. And there's a moment where he picks himself up on his, he gets on his feet and he turns. And, and he was doing things. I'm doing things my way that leads to the pig pen. Then I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go this way and I'm returning to my father. Another word for return is repent. There's a change of a mind, change of heart. That's what the word repent means. Change of heart, change of mind. And when that occurs, when that happens, there's movement that comes with it. It's a movement back towards God. And then there's something that happened with the prodigal when he shows up at his father's house. And it's something that a lot of us have a hard time understanding in our American culture because we think everything is earned. We got a, nothing is for free. When the son arrived with a repentant heart and with the realization of what he'd done, his father poured out on him. His father poured out, put a ring on his finger, said, you're restored as a son. And that's what God does. He restores you as a son and daughter of his. He brings you into his family, into his kingdom. And, and so this is the mode, this is the things that happen when we're surrendering to God. And if these are the things, and it's not necessarily always in that order that I said them, but these three things are usually a combination of things that are happening on the inside. There's a realization. There is a return. There is a receiving or ready to receive from God. If those things are going on the inside with you right now, then there's something that you're ready to do on the outside. And it's a Romans 10.9 kind of thing. And it says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus, Jesus is the Son of God and God raised him from the dead, and if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So in that verse, there is the internal. There's, yeah, I believe he's the Son of God. I believe he, he rose from the dead. And then there's the external. I confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord. So that's what we're talking about when we say Surrender. And, and saying, I am no longer going to be the controlling power of my life, but Jesus is going to be the controlling power of my life. I am no longer going to be first, but he is going to be first in my life. That is what we say when we become a Christ follower. That is surrender.
So, now I know there's some of you here who are like, man, I've already done that. But if I could do it all over again, I would do it. I would do it. Yes, I'm there. I'm so excited about the words you're saying. And, 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 and I just want to say, guess what? You get to do that again. We get to do that every day as Christ followers. We wake up in the morning and we say, Lord Jesus, once again, I surrender this body to you. And I, I want you to be the controlling power in my life. And I want to be aligned with you, the Spirit, as you lead me today. So right now, we're going to have a time where we can respond. I'd like you to stand with me. And we're going to have uh, some of our gel leaders down here in the front. Jazz is in the front. I'm in the front. And if you'd like to pray with somebody, just say, man, I'm struggling with this surrender thing. I, you know, I've said yes to Jesus about him being my controlling power, but I, I'm still struggling with surrender. Or you're somebody here saying, I've never done that. I've never done the surrender thing ever. And I'm, I'm wanting to do it now then let's pray. Let's pray together right now, okay? Nate's going to play. Heavenly Father, we pray in this moment that you show us how to surrender and that you be the controlling power in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.